The Tree of Tremendousness by Thomas Jackson Chapter 2 The Demon Beneath the Tree Episode 1 Your Hobble The ending of this blissful dawn time of the beginnings, the first life defined by my mother's love, this the first paradigm of all endings, is beyond my capacity to date, for it belonged not to the upper chronological levels of my experience, but to its shifting lower darknesses. But at some now indiscernible point, I began to find in a discovery of which the misery and bewilderment were in no way lessened by the silent and imperceptible foot with which this perception stole down upon me, at some point I began to realise that I had not one but two mothers, a good one and a bad. The good one, unaccountably, began to be replaced by an impostor, a devilishly cunning fiend, among whose artful wiles it was to look just like my real mother, and although, of course, this malignant usurper could never quite succeed to imitate my mother to the life. I cannot express the inspirations of terror and despair with which I first caught glimpses of this dreadful demon, when, for the briefest of moments, in removing the mask wondrously imitative of the beauty of my mother's countenance that he habitually wore, oh, the amazing consummate artistry of this cunningly concealing semblance, when, in blindingly ephemeral fractions of time, while removing this mask, he would allow me to catch a glimpse of himself, his whelped brow, his fiery eye, his curled, sarcastic thin lip, his dark, penetrating gaze of death. Then, leering most horribly, with dread countenance, he will simply disappear, as silently and mysteriously as he had come, back into the forest of my mind. This dreadful demon actually appearing in the garden, my garden, Pam's, Peter's, my mother's garden, glimpsed from the corner of my eye, in the shadows beneath the tree. Of course, when you look carefully, it was no longer there, but a penumbra of darkness and dread, not seen directly, but now always there, just outside the corners of my vision, from this time onwards began to press importunately in upon me. My mother would sometimes now be melancholy for days, but I was her court jester. I was also my mother's knight, her liege man. It was up to me to defend her from the Germans, so for this reason I decided it would be best for me to take over personally the direction of the war. Deep from my bunker within the jungle house, I made speeches to the nation, a pudding spoon doing excellent service as a microphone, and set about building a pillbox at the end of the garden, the better to repel invaders. Then suddenly my mother would be possessed by a mood of feverish gaiety and would hammer out Run Rabbit Run and Down Mexico Way on the piano. And she and I and Peter would leap about the house, cavorting and dancing, with even Pam rattling her calipers, rushing up and down stairs and playing peeky-boo in the bedrooms and slamming doors and whizzing round hectically in ring-a-ring-a-roses in the dining room. I swear, even the grandfather clock gave a few discreet whirring chuckles, and singing and hallooing and barking, as if the war were over, the gates of the new Jerusalem flung open, and the boys come home at last.
The jewel of the day was the time just before I went to sleep when my mother would read me fairy stories. Tea consumed, lamps lit, Pam kissed, black men of the night negotiated, prayers said, blankets tucked in and cheddy positioned. We would settle down for the last delicious rite of the day. Together we ventured into a world that we both knew to be the only real one because its glamour was so intense and its magic so recognisably true. Like Jack, and this I knew for blissfully certain, for did not the story assure me that it was so, I would sell the cow for the beans and climb the beanstalk and vanquish the giant. I would find the hen that laid the golden eggs and live in happiness with the hen and my mother and with Peter and Pam, of course, forever. Like the prince, I hacked my way through the thickets of thorns surrounding the castle. The winch that I had to unwind to let down the drawbridge before the gate gave out the most amazing long shrieks, groans as I turned it. I crossed the threshold and entered the great palatial hall. All was struck down by sleep. Silence lay as six to dust that covered everything. I crept through the kitchens, past the open-mouthed snoring scullions sprawled in front of their dead fires. Dogs were so deeply asleep their faces were buried in their paws and they did not even twitch or shudder in their bottomless dreams. A sewing maid still held a rusty needle between the fingers of one of her hands and in the other the shreds of a patched stocking that had been stretched over the mushroom that she had held when slumber struck her down. I passed the king and queen dreaming on their thrones as deeply asleep as the depths of the sea down the dust-choked spider-web passages out through the peeling, rust-bound, creaking doors, out through the walls of sharp thorns, just as in the story, they are turning into beds of flowers. At last, to plant the kiss on my dearest mother's lips that will unite us forever. It is understandable, therefore, that my terror and rage should have been utterly overwhelming when I found that my incomparably beautiful good mother had been replaced by the imposter bad mother. How these transformations came about, I could never understand. They would be instantaneous, which was, of course, part of their magical character. At one moment, my mother and I would be moving carefully and happy about our life. The next, my mother had been whisked away into nothing, her place taken by this frightening bad mother, dressing me down and forbidding me to do what I wanted and shouting at me with raised voice and darkened countenance. It was true she, she was not hideous and frightening to the degree of the terrible witch in the fairy stories or the demon been under the tree, but she'd been sent by the demon and the witch. Indeed, since one of her most frightful tricks was to counterfeit my mother and look just like her, she was probably far more hideous than she actually looked. For it stands to reason, if you are trying to imitate somebody who is extremely beautiful, there is a limit to the degree of your own hideousness that you can reveal. She was fearlessly clever, the bad mother, and might have persuaded a casual observer that she was my mother, but I knew better. My love for my mother was so deep and tender that I knew that this tyrant with her stormy visage and annihilating eyes could never be the same 
whatever her claims. Go away, I shouted. You're a witch. Go away. You're horrible. I hate you. Although I was terrified of the bad mother, I refused to be browbeaten by her. I was, after all, my mother's knight, her prince. And however far away and strongly fortified the castle where the bad mother with the witch's magic had transported her, I would journey through the thick forests to find her like Isis, searching for Osiris, or Demeter, journeying through the underworld, looking for Persephone, I would find her. I would stand up to the bad witch. Battles are won primarily in the heart. I knew that. The sine qua non is the overcoming of your own fear. Thus I traded blow for blow, imperative for imperative. Don't do it, thundered the bad mother. Go into her, go into her, go away! I yelled back. You're a naughty boy, shouted the bad mother, growing even more angry. The witch of the fairy tales, the very grandmother of all these evils, was surely whispering what she must say in her ear. But I will not be overcome. You're horrible. I hate you. You're horrible. I fling back, terrified but resolute. Particularly sharp point of contention was my mother's attempts to get me to abandon my potty and use the privy. I was still using the potty years after I should have made the transition, for even after I had discovered that Hitler did not have his wolf's lair there, I still found the privy a place of overwhelming darkness and terror. At the time of the unfortunate encounter with Mrs. Robber, my mother had been fairly easy going on the matter, but as time went by, and I still did not show signs of using the toilet, like a grown-up. She became more and more alarmed. The battle usually began quietly enough. How about using the toilet today, Henry? She would say brightly, as if she were casually referring to some felicitously looked forward to treat, like licking out the remains of the cake mixture on baking day, or going round to Mr Mackintosh's to collect the sweet ration. This was only round one, but I wasn't going to be taken in by this sort of soft soap. The appropriate response to round one was to cry, so I would really open the floodgates and let my mother have it. A baffled frown would come over my mother's face. Through my tears, I could hardly restrain myself from sniggering with satisfaction. Round one to me. All would have been well if at this point the bad mother had not made her entry. In a twinkling, my own mother, who would of course have said, I knew it, of course, of course, dear Henry, of course you can use your potty. I quite understand. Of course, of course. My own dear good mother was in the instant annihilated and her place was taken by the bad. She strode towards me. I was terrified and ran screaming from the kitchen into the living room. She pursued. She seized me. Her brow grew thunderous, her cheeks reddened, and her eyes filled with dark fire. 
She dragged me out of the house and down the garden path towards the torture chamber. I shrieked and yelled and wriggled and writhed in violent confusions. Use the toilet like a gentleman, she grinds out between set teeth. Shan't, won't, hobble, hate you, don't wanna. We're almost at the door of the privy. Round two is definitely going to her. The black horror of it sweeps over me. Within seconds, I shall be faced with the hideous spiders and octopuses and man-eating monsters that inhabit it. Fear lends me a terrible strength, and with a mighty effort, think of Hansel, Sir Lancelot, the Prince, Churchill, Montgomery, Sir Douglas Bader. I wrench and wriggle myself free and dart back up the garden path. Hotly pursued, I dash into the house and seize my potty and hold it defiantly to my bottom. The bad mother is now really furious. She wrests the potty from the seat of my pants and I cling on to it. Thus the two armies engage. Use the toilet like a gentleman, from between grinding teeth. Won't, shan't, hobble, witch, I hate you, I shout back. You naughty, naughty boy, she thunders. Do it in my pants, I shout back. Can I provoke her into slapping me? This is painful, but what does this physical pain matter? For if she slaps me, I've won. There is nothing else she can do. And she will have proved that she is the bad mother. For my good mother would never have slapped me. Witch! Witch! Do it in my pants! I taught. She slaps me. I howl with pain and triumph. She stands back, aghast for what she's done. As swift as thought, I sit down triumphantly on the potty. Habsburg or Bourbon, restored to his throne. Hate you, hate you, hate you, I chant derisively. Cock-a-doodle-doo, cock-a-doodle-doo. But my victory is hollow. We forget what tiny, wiggling little maggots of new soul we once were, and how commanding and mighty were the giantesses who once ruled our lives. I am overcome by a wave of self-pity at my vulnerability and the huge effort I've had to make to prevent my will becoming entirely extinguished by the bad mother. It is dragging the life out of me. With a sickening knowledge, I know that I cannot keep on making these efforts and that in the end she must win. She will turn me to stone. She will hold me upside down by the feet and force me down into some stinking, suffocating marsh. Serpent-like, she will embrace me to death and squeeze the life out of me. I will never find my real mother. Never, never. She's lost. Lost in a dark wood. Lost. Lost. Never, never. I weep for the passing of what had been so beautiful.